initial attack was short-lived, but Metropolis was only granted a short reprieve. There seems to be no end in sight. Welcome to First Strike the Invasion podcast. This is episode 38. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bess. And uh, we're very close to the end now. Today we're talking about Young Justice Season 2, which was called Invasion. Yeah. Uh, we'll also look at some other little aftermath extras. Exactly. And among these, uh, most importantly, Wonder Woman number 27. Yeah, ac- actually, that's a... That's a big one. That's a, that's a very big one. That should have been in the back cover of I, Invasion number 3. Actually, yeah, it should have been. It should have had the Invasion Aftermath tag or something on it. Something. I don't know. Not the yeah. Aftermath, I guess, whatever is the after party. Yeah. Whatever's <laughs> the after. fallout. So let's start with Young Justice Season 2. Young Justice colon invasion you were already a young justice fan am well I, am I, right? I i watched the uh the cartoon i liked it it's a you know it's a darker version of teen titans mm-hmm. or something like that or the uh, darker version of the 90s you know when superboy connell uh, came to be oh, yeah, that's and, connor's in it so. yeah so that it's it's yeah, kind of like that yeah mm-hmm. so yeah i kind of liked it i kind of digged it the first season. Second season, I kind of liked it also. We'll get into the details uh, later on. But, uh, yeah, I kind of liked it. I don't know if it's my favorite version of the sidekicks, but I do enjoy it. What is your favorite version? Oh, I, I really did like the, the Teen Titans from the Wolfman era. Okay, you mean in the comics? Yeah. Yeah, my favorite would be... We've talked about this before. So my fir- my favorite would be the Zany Haney 60s oh, oh, well, era. Oh, yeah. And then whatever pays lip to that. So the year one miniseries was... That was great. Humorous like that. Yeah. And Teen Titans Go. Teen Titans Go is... Teen, Teen Titans Go is by far my favorite version of Titans anywhere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, that, because it is, it does pay tribute, even though it's the Wolfman Titans. It's, it's the new it's Teen It's zany. It's crazy. It it's is fun. the zany. It's half anime, half Bob Haney. It's it's half everything. <laughs> it's a, it's many it's halves. A, it's an eighth everything. It's yeah. great. It's just great. Yeah. So you enjoyed the, the movie? Oh, I, I saw it two times. Oh. I went to see it two times with my son. Yeah. Well, he's, uh, I mean, you're both the, the, the right oh, yeah. age for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're, we are. We are. And we enjoyed it both times. I, second time, I, I went to see it with my brother and his kid, and we just had a blast. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it always got humor pitched at all ages. Oh, absolutely. So you've got the fart joke, the extended fart joke for the kid. Oh, that was fun. But you've also got, like, deep cut references Oh yeah. to the DC Universe and, uh, you know, sort of a spoof on superhero movies. And so. I enjoyed seeing all these cameos, you know, yeah. we, we see Swamp Thing and Dead Man and... And everybody. Yeah. We see basically everybody. Yeah. And some of them are the brunt of jokes and there's like yeah. meta humor in there. So um, I know a lot of people don't like it, but that's because they don't like T-Titans Go yeah. in the first place. If you like T-Titans Go, go to the, <laughs> you're go gonna, to the movies. <laughs> you're going to love the movie. <laughs> yeah. No, it was fun. But uh, for me, Young Justice was was new. Yeah. You didn't watch anything. I right? hadn't watched any of it. I'd had, I had like, like the first... Ha- the first half of the first season okay. on DVD or whatever the first DVD was. Did, did you watch it when you got it? No. no you so didn't. it was on the shelf because oh. I, I just, I hate Warner Brothers animation the way they, the way they release DVDs. I like to buy a whole season and they used to release them like that. Yeah. But, uh, from, I guess, Legion of Superheroes or they started releasing four episodes per disc. Yeah. That's, and then eventually a little omnibus where you get 12 episodes. And then you're waiting forever for the rest. I don't understand the marketing behind it. Ah, well, yeah. So, I got it because it was cheap. I was going to watch it when I had more episodes. I never did buy more. Yeah, because you don't want to binge on four episodes and then have the... Yeah, Wait I think it was like I had 12. It's like the omnibus version yeah. of the first three discs. It just so happened I never watched it. And it's on the shelf and... It takes me a while to get to animation. I enjoy it when I watch it, but it's like I'd rather watch live action. If if, if I have a choice, I'll watch live action. From what I've seen, I mean, I enjoy the uh, Warner Brothers animations. Recently, I just watched Batman Bad Blood, and the fight scenes are just incredible. They're really going all out anime in, in some of these, and... The fight scenes are just awesome. Oh, I haven't seen much of a scale up since Justice League Unlimited. Yeah. So JLU had like, oh, now we're a cut above in the way the action is presented. But even Young Justice or anything I've seen that's later, we're about the same level. I mean, we've hit the ceiling. But it's a good ceiling to be at. And Mm -hmm. uh, what Young Justice did, I, I felt, was be a very good, not just a good 
we say dark, I mean, like teenage angst Titans, which is yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, not just a, a good Titans show, even though they never use that word. Uh, it's always called the team. But there are discrepancies. It's not, it can't be the sequel to Justice League Unlimited, but it, it kind of feels like it is. Anyways, yeah. and it's it got, feels... the, yeah, I like the, the reinventions anyway that the DC animated universe always yeah. did. And it goes a little bit further on some of these reimaginations. I have no problem with that. It's great for exactly that. It kind of feels like this was going on in the outskirts of the Unlimited series. Mm -hmm. You know, like this, maybe the last season of Un Unlimited had the first season of Teen Titans in it in some kind of a parallel world. Yeah, sort of. You know, it kind of feels like it's all insane. It's because the Robins. It doesn't work with the Robins. Yeah. The Robin chronology doesn't work with the DC animated, but most of it could be side by side, you know. Hopefully we'll talk a bit about the Robins later on, because I really dug that part of season two of The Young Justice. Well, season two, you know, obviously I watched all these. The ones I had on DVD, I watched them on DVD, and mm -hmm. then I went to Netflix, which has them all. It's all on there, yeah. Season two is a bizarre proposition, because the first season left a lot of dangling plot threads. Yeah, all of them. Cliffhangers, you know, character cliffhangers, plot cliffhangers. And then uh, the next season starts and it's five years later. And you're just a little lost and you've lost some characters. And some mm -hmm. characters have grown up a bit. And you're, you're like, wait, what happened to the show I was enjoying? Is, yeah. is this a different show? It's got new characters in it. It's got, you know, so it's off-putting. And then it takes like a few episodes before they get back to those plot threads that yeah. they left dangling and you go, oh, okay. And then you find out what happened in between in the five year gap. And then, you know, you get, it gets better from that. It's just like, you have to, yeah. you have to move to at least like the fifth episode before you you're caught up or you feel caught up. So it's not too bad. They kind of, they kind of get you in there gradually. One of the team members, you know, goes evil. Mm -hmm. So we think. So we think. And that kind of leaves you thinking, what, what happened to the other ones? Did the other ones go rogue? Did What happened? What, yeah, because there are a few missing. Yeah. Uh, and Robin Robin grows up to, to become Nightwing and all that, but and he's still there. But uh, And some have moved on to the proper Justice League. Yeah. And, and you've got some different new characters in there as well to replace the ones that are missing. Anyway, it's it's a little confusing as to why they would do that. Uh, I guess it's a toy. It was toy-driven. Toy the whole thing is toy-driven. <laughs> Probably toy-driven, but, you know. But because it was canceled for toy sales. Really? As well. So, uh, you know, we've had... It, it's ironic because you've got the first season and then the second season comes out right afterwards. And it takes place five years later. And then there's a five-year gap before the show returns. It's about to return now. Yeah. With an outsider's <laughs> thing. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. They're trolling me at this point. And I won't live that gap because I wasn't watching it, you know. But well, apparently season four is just called Red Tornado. So you'll be fine. You'll love it. You'll love it. Because <laughs> there wasn't enough Red Tornado in the first two seasons. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, but the, the idea that there is a real five-year gap and the show may, probably won't do five years later. Probably know, won't, yeah. Your young justice can't be too <laughs> old. It's not young anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's probably, so the, there's gonna, for us, a five year gap for them five minutes later. In the first season was five minutes later for <laughs> us, but. Yeah. <laughs> five year gap for them. So it's kinda, it's kind of a weird thing. And yeah, the reason it was canceled apparently was because of toy sales. Oh. Um, that sucks. And the Teen Titans Go stuff was selling better, so they concentrated on that instead. And suits. Can the suits. The suits canceled it. Because basically, whether the stories are good or not, and they were, it wasn't about that. It was meant to sell toys. And if the toys aren't selling, then we don't need the cartoon. Well, uh, <laughs> So uh, now it's been brought back because there's been, in the last five years, there's been campaigns. Yeah. It trends on Twitter every so often. And buy the toys. You know, watch them on Netflix. Do something that shows that there's an interest in this and that it can be marketable. Yeah. As a property. That's that that's the part that sucks about these things is when it has to be marketable. It doesn't have to be good and it cheapens the whole deal. Mm -hmm. I mean for fans and fans of the characters, you're just like, ugh. I don't want to buy everything. I just wanna consume the stories and see these characters. I don't wanna buy everything. I'm not a milk cow. I can't give you money all the time, WB. Well, that's apparently what the the thing. So yeah. yeah, I think the the so the whole season changed all the designs and created a lot of new characters, probably to be toyetic. Well, five years later would do that. 
You yeah. know, you have Nightwing all of a sudden. You have the different Robin. I mean, Tim Drake Robin. Yeah. His second story. Uh, spoiler so you had two more Robins to play with because yeah. those two. And the two are different and they were fun and, and really liked them. The new Beast Boy in the season two. That's awesome also. It was like, yeah, Beast Boy. He's in Titans Go. Everybody loves Beast Boy. So that was fun. That, that was the thing. So what happens in their invasion thing? The second season is meant to be, well, meant to be. It's called Invasion. Obviously, it takes elements from the 1988 invasion, which is what the show is, our show is all about. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so we got to talk about it. And, uh, but it makes a lot of changes as well. And it takes place over, you know, 24, 26 episodes, whatever it is. It's got to cater to different characters. So it is not the Dominator invasion. It's not. But there are a lot of similarities. Enough to say that they took their inspiration from that book. So uh, here's my short synopsis of the season uh, as to what relates to Invasion anyways. Uh, five years after the first season, the team is older and wiser. Some of them are absent. New recruits have been added. In due course, the show will cater to dangling plot lines, as we've said, from the first season uh, and tell us what happened in the interim. But what interests us here is the larger plot, which concerns uh, metahumans being kidnapped and experimented on by aliens. So that sounds familiar. Uh, the heroes are clued in by Adam Strange. Mm-hmm. Again, familiar, uh, that a race called the Krolotians uh, is using Zeta Beam technology to do this, and uh, in what we might call Act 1, the team puts a stop to it. Uh, but their thunder is mostly stolen by another alien race called the Reach, who present themselves as saviors, but who are really behind everything, and are allies of the Light, which is the secret society of supervillains headed by Vandal Savage, holdovers from Season 1. Over the course of this season, the the team's HQ will be destroyed. Uh, I'm, I'm going for spoilers here. Uh, Nightwing will learn a harsh lesson about keeping secrets uh, when uh, <laughs> when he sends teammates undercover, and it creates problems. And Blue Beetle will sort of come out of it as one of the most important characters in there, seeing as the Reach are the makers of the Scarab. So they're very much tied to, to his story. In the climax... The Reach flees Earth, but leaves 20 devices behind that screw with the planet's magnetic field. The heroes have to destroy them before humanity dies in a bunch of natural disasters, or unnatural disasters as the case may be, and one of their own will apparently die. I'm not saying he does. We don't know till season three. Exactly. So, I don't believe it, because of things I know about the characters in the first place and and the source material. And superhero tropes. Nobody dies. (laughs) Exactly. This obviously trades on on invasion. It's got, I mean, the Reach are kind of Dominator like, yeah, yeah, in attitude, and they don't have a nose, <laughs> exactly. So they've got a similar silhouette, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, they don't ally with a bunch of other aliens, except the Krolotians, who I don't yeah. know. Uh, they ally with Earth supervillains, yeah. actually. So uh, what did you think of these um, the Reach, the similarities and the, the, the well, differences? Uh, I I really liked. The fact that some things were just little winks. You know, we see Captain Adam kind of being in charge of the Justice League mm-hmm. who has this That's other true. thing going on. It kind of how the Reach is all manipulative and, and, and they kind of feel like the Dominators, but they don't look like them. They don't really act like them, but they, they have these little similarities in the motivations and, and what they want to do. And that was fun, but I, if my only knowledge of invasion was the season two of, of Young Justice, going back and reading Invasion would have felt like something completely new. Because, you know, it's just some elements are yeah. are taking from They're looking for our metagenes. Yeah. Uh, so it introduces that concept to the show. Exactly. And, there are the meta kids in yeah. there. And we'll get, I mean, just like Invasion, where it spawned stories about the metagene later, the show all does the same because it creates new heroes. Exactly. Uh, the... the Basically, the international super friends. Yeah. Yeah. Really? They're they're sort of all supposed to be tributes to Apache Chief and Eldorado and all of them. And I get outsiders. That's going to be about trafficking people with the metagene. So there's like a metahuman traffic going on in that season, which is all about all you can really catch from the trailer. Yeah. And the uh, outsiders like Geoforce and Metamorpho seem to be metahumans of some kind. They don't get freed by the by Young Justice. Possibly. Geoforce? Why? <laughs> I don't know. Why would you go with him? Why do you need him? Ah, uh, to get Terra in there to create the Teen Titans later yeah. on. And, well, you know, have all the Halo that. design looks cool. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so it, just like Invasion, this is going to have Fallout for yeah. that universe because... 
of the implications of the metagene. So it does that as well. And, uh, I mean, other than that, that there's an alliance, that it's not the same kind of alliance, that there's a scorched earth policy at the end where let's just blow a bomb at the very end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that... Very, yeah, exactly. Very, a different sort of bomb, let's say, but still... Still, the, yeah. A similar idea. Uh, and that Adam Strange brings it to them. Yeah, I kind of like that. That's, I, that's like a fun wink. These little things I did enjoy very much, actually. And, uh, you know, it, it, it takes this Adam Strange character that's an, a very old character and, and brings them to, you know, the teens. And I just like that. They've got to go on and on and on. So there's got to be confrontations. They're like switch of aliens. There's uh, people are going to are going rogue. Uh, the Scarab takes over Blue Beetle. You've got um, the undercover Young Justicers uh, in the evil organization with yeah. Black Manta and all that. So there, there's quite a lot of subplots there as well. There's a lot of Mongol stuff. shows up in War World. I know. You know it's... I was going to mention Mongol. I was like, because I love that character. I love the idea of Mongol in War World. And it's, it's so crazy. And, you know, he has this movable... And yeah, I mean, it's a planet and it, it's a spaceship. I, what is it? I always enjoyed him. I enjoyed that he got beat up by, well, not beat up, but beat by, uh, by Robin way back when. Mongol just showing up and there's just a lot of stuff going on in season two and it's, I, I just liked it. Let's compare. Okay. In the sense that, let's say, would Invasion, the comic book, have been better if there'd been an alliance, like the fewer aliens and these aliens were allied with or it's supervillains. Traitors among us. And it's the supervillains. They kind of wanted to do that, I feel, uh, within Invasion, the comic book. Invasion 88. They kind of wanted to bring that in at some point during the uh, the first issue. Where we had, you know, people saying, yeah, give them the, uh, the superhumans. And we had, you know, terrorists that were working with the Alliance, etc. But it never really went there. I think that would have been nice to see, you know, Lex Luthor trying to trying to make money off of it, mm-hmm. you know. You know, use that to become the... I, I think he sort of did. It wow. wasn't like the big focus, but, but he was yeah. selling weapons to the government. Yeah, yeah, but you know, <laughs> he wasn't on the bad guy's no, side, though. No. He was still fighting for Earth. Yeah. As far as we know, I mean, no supervillains really sided with the aliens. No, exactly. Then again, they had supervillains, you know, they were the other world... Supervillains, you know, we had the Tanagarians. They're not supervillains, but they're assholes. You know, the, the Kuns, the O'Karens. Uh, we saw them in, you know, uh, other comic books. And so there were supervillains in there, but just not our. No, the Joker. I guess Gargax is probably the yeah, closest. Yeah. But the Joker wasn't plotting anything with, you know, the Dominators. No. That would have been crazy, though. <laughs> that would have been nuts. Uh, if Invasion were being done now, I think that might happen. <laughs> probably <laughs> the joker they're trying to understand the joker and he goes nuts and <laughs> they go nuts trying to understand that guy and is he a meta is he yeah. not a meta because in the young justice season i feel like it's not just they took from invasion but they also took as the first season did they took from other crossovers yeah I mean, we're five years later. That's a little bit like the one year later after Infinite Crisis. You know, the aliens are manipulating uh, people. They're using G. Gordon Godfrey, mm-hmm. Glorious Godfrey, yeah. to, well, using him or whatever. He's on their side at first. And he's uh, smearing. There's like a smear campaign against the Justice League, pro-alien and anti-superhero. And that's Legends. Yeah. We're using that same character as well. To inflame spirits against, like, it's like a mutant hysteria for superheroes, for DC superheroes. So, are they crossing over crossovers? The ending, we, we haven't spoiled it and still won't, but yeah. the ending is basically a riff on the world changing stuff of since Crisis, you know, from yeah. Crisis to Flashpoint. Uh, the event that we see there, I think, is very reminiscent of, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and the way Impulse got brought in is also part and parcel. Yeah. Of those kinds of events. So, uh, where did you change the future? You know, save the cheerleader, save the world. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but you know, it's, yeah. it's like pulling from these various sources. Yeah. Not just invasion, but just doing, a, it's like a big remix. Yeah. But they're doing it well. I think it's a good remix of these kind of tropes and these, these ways that we do. St- things in the comic books and it all fit yeah it all fit because mongol showing up and oh okay this is the end of uh, it's reign of the supermen uh you know you've got all this yeah. stuff going on that's it sort of reminds you of comic book stuff that you've read but then all, always spins it around and it, there's so much of it that you're just going okay they're just playing with all the toys and it's not 
a copy. It's not a straight adaptation well, where you feel like yeah. you've all seen it before. Yeah, we, I don't I don't know about you, but I, I'm not one of those who... I, I think I used to be one of those who like to see, you know, copies of what I read in the comic books. Now, I, I look for adaptations. I, I enjoy adaptations. I understand that, you know, comics are different from movies and animation is different from movies. And I enjoy these things a lot more since I'm looking for adaptations, not the actual story. Not I don't like it when we use the comic book as a storyboard. And that's what I don't like anymore. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, I used to like that a, a lot more, but I got bored of it because it's just re revisiting the same story over and over and over again. You know, yeah. it's, it gets boring. Yeah, even when it was good, which it wasn't often but <laughs> even when it was good it was like a bad case of deja vu all through like the two hours of the film why why do i need this when i have it at home and yeah. i can read it again in the original medium there's not enough there that's been changed for yeah. me to to visit it again so it's great for people discovering it for the first time yeah but where's your craft filmmaker <laughs> that's what i was thinking of when you know, they're remaking all these live adaptations of uh, Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella and soon The Lion King and mm-hmm. and very, very close to the original. De- all depending, but yeah. And to me, it's not a waste because it's still nice, but it's it's basically still the same thing. I have Beauty and the Beast because my, my son wanted to have it at home because he likes the wolves in the movie a lot better than the cartoon. But there's this scene with the wolves. Yes, I think that was like one of but, the most horrendous scenes. But, but I'm not six years old. It's exactly the same thing <laughs> as in the as in the cartoon. So because I I came out of that film going, why were these wolves, those CG wolves, so awful? When I just saw Jungle Book, where the CG wolves were terrific. But you see, Jungle Book, the jungle. It's I, the, by the same makers. I know. And the Jungle Book made me cry. I mean, I just, I just love that movie. But I like adaptations a, b- a bit more now than I'm older. So you wanted to talk about Robin? Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed the Robins. I enjoyed that Robin became Nightwing, and we see the evolution of that Robin becoming that Nightwing. And I really dug that. I was like, yeah, this is the same character. Just he grew up. And seeing the new Robin, and it's Tim Drake Robin, probably after after Dick, my favorite Robin ever. Tim was always important, but was never really, you know, they always try to keep him in there. You know, he was Batman Beyond for a while. He was, now he's going to be a, a villain for a while. And they, they just like to mess around with Tim. But seeing Tim in this one, knowing he's not as great as the original Robin, knowing that people are going to know he's not the same guy, he has different sets of skills, him being like a little bit, uh, he's questioning himself, you know, a lot. And and we see the the same kind of development from we that we saw from Dick in the first season. It's kind of fun seeing a new Robin just growing in this season, kind of like the old one did. And you know they're going to be both great, but different. One of the, you bring up a, a point that makes me think of this, is the idea that where Young Justice Invasion is superior to Invasion 88. Invasion 88 is bigger, yeah. more epic. Obviously, touch, I mean, it's a completely different animal. Yeah. Uh, but what uh, Young Justice can do with the concept, it's less focused. But because it's all happening to one team or two teams, the Justice League and their students, Justice League in waiting, sort of. Yeah. It just means that while the invasion is happening, you're also following this soap opera. You're also seeing these characters grow because of these over a longer time. So it's not like three, two and a half months was invasion, basically. Two mm-hmm. and a half months, and whatever you're doing in your book, you're still doing it. But invasion is sort of interfering with that, and sometimes it leads to something, and sometimes it's just an interruption, and doesn't really affect the character. But in this, it, the effect is constantly being felt. Oh, yeah. So that's, I think, what Young Justice does well, is show you characters and, you know, teenage characters with all their angst, and they're, and they're trying to overcome this and become adults through becoming heroes. So um, you can't do that in a comic book crossover because it's not character-focused. It's plot-driven, and yeah. different writers have to just work with that, that overhanging plot. In this, you can weave it into the narrative. So everything that uh, Aqualad does, for example, that's all, that he's on his own path. This is important to his character. It's important to all the characters that he comes in contact with and, and changes him. But it 
squarely has something to do with the invasion plot. You can do a lot more in that format because there's just one team to follow. And that's great. That's wonderful. You know, it's sort of like the success of the Sinister Core War. DC had a lot of event fatigue. (laughs) They still do. (laughs) Yeah. But then the ones that had success were the big crossover events. Uh, It was stuff like that where it's just concentrated in the Green Lantern universe. Yeah. So if you, you only need to follow like three books, the three Green Lantern books that yeah. they had and whatever specials, and then it's all focused on that. Yeah. It's like the Young Justice just doing invasion all by themselves. You have fewer books to look at. It's still big. It's still epic. You still collect it. But it's not like, ugh, and there's this new Guardians issue in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Green Lantern could have done that, actually. <laughs> they could have, but, you know. <laughs> if they had new Guardians. But, but the fallout yeah. from that Sinestro War, that brought, you know, the whole spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, and it changed the world or the universe in DC Comics. Yeah, not just the Green Lantern. Not universe. just the, G- the Green Lantern. And yet, at the time, it was like it's more contained. Pretty, yeah. I think that's a good way to do a big event because it doesn't ask as much of the readers. It doesn't interfere with as many books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can be driven by two, three writers who know where they're going with it instead of every writer and editor at DC. Yeah, because too many cooks, you know. And, and you wind up with Batman sort of shrugging it all off mm-hmm. and then uh, people not actually being in position to participate which is a which the titans weren't so this yeah. is sort of our titans invasion crossover. actually yeah that's what i was going to say this is <laughs> this is what the titans were doing yeah if, if they hadn't been on some journey to find donna troy yeah whatever it was they could have been doing this instead yeah. so it's fun that it exists and it, i think it's a good idea to to steal from Invasion if you're Young Justice, because this is one of those crossovers that these characters did not participate in. <laughs> so it can't be, oh, well, we know where the Judas contract is going. We know where, you know, they're yeah. going in this. Here we don't, because these characters have never been put into this situation. Exactly. So that's interesting. Any uh, last thoughts on Young Justice before we move on? Well, even though they're just like, they're just picking from Invasion 88 in the comic book. I think this deserves, uh, uh, you know, people to look at it and listen to it and catch that season of Young Justice. I mean, it's on Netflix. You can buy it. I mean, people should watch this because this is great. Well said. Uh, We'll take a small break. Small break. And when we come back, we'll talk about other issues. We'll we'll go back to the comic book universe. We'll go back to 1988. Yeah, because, oh, my God, I've got issues. (laughs) And we'll look at other issues that followed Invasion. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian. Every adventure. (sighs) Okay. You guys are so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world... Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you JLU Cast. Whatever the future holds, we'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. We're back. We're talking about uh, Invasion, 1988. And uh, even though we've, we're done with the series, we're done with the official tie-ins. Yeah. We're done with the official spin-offs. We're, we're looking <laughs> at the fallout now. What happened? Yeah. How, how did it change the world? And uh, when you look at the comics that came out the month after Invasion, no banners, nothing marked, uh, you still see that, well, obviously the characters have to be reacting to what just happened. Yeah. Which well, includes the gene bomb exploding and some of them, you know, having... Uh, been sick uh, and the aliens having been there and leaving we talked about this in the previous episode i picked like four or five that we talked about but uh, there are more and uh, here they are so let's let's start with uh, justice league international number 24 we covered the second half of that issue last time uh, but not the first in which maxwell lord does use his powers nosebleed and all for the first time so that confirms the the bit we sort of stammered through last time uh, we were like, ah, when does he, uh, does it take a while? Yeah. It didn't take a while. It was just before. <laughs> and um, we neglected to read the first yeah. few pages again. Uh, right there under our noses. He uses the powers, nosebleed and everything. So and he's that, a meta. 
that's going to be his demise. It is eventually. It is. It is. This is a uh, this is a cool storyline at the time, and um, bad writers did bad things with it <laughs> later. Let's not go into it. Uh, <laughs> Doom Patrol number nineteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned this before, uh, but the team is reconfigured in the wake of the Gene Bomb's effects. Uh, the chief in this issue, the chief means to rebuild. The Cliff Steel Robot Man has checked himself into a psych ward because he can't face the loss of so many teammates, and you know he's got problems with not feeling. He's a brain in a metal body, yeah. and there's, um, that becomes one of his issues. Uh, there, he meets a young woman who goes under the name Crazy Jane, who suffers from disassociative disorder, and following the gene bomb's effects, each of her four, 64 personalities have different powers. Oh, wow. She'll, of course, become a member of the new Doom Patrol. Uh, also in the issue, Larry Trainer, negative man, uh, recovers from injuries suffered during the Gargax attack. And the negative being comes back to him and integrates him uh, with his doctor, creating the entity Rebus, also become a member. And in a later issue, we'll see how Lodestone grew a cocoon around her as a result of the gene bomb, I guess, and comes out as a strange, naked, electromagnetic goddess. That's, that's one hell of a cocoon. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Grant Morrison went with it and used the gene bomb's effects to create... Characters oh, yeah. uh, in in his image, I guess. Uh, Firestorm, uh, eighty two through eighty five. Oh, uh, we find out that Lorraine Riley, Firehawk, was cured of the radiation poisoning oh, that was nice. killing her by the gene bomb. Uh, it's like her powers went out of control and burned the radiation. Ronnie, for his part, uh, has not tried to reform Firestorm since the bomb's explosion because it made his powers go wild and transmuted and killed people around him. Oh. That wasn't clear in the issue, but eh, apparently Firestorm's a killer. That all happened in Moscow. And in Russia, in Moscow, we see Mikhail Arkadin, the other half of Firestorm, reuniting with his kids in the city's rubble. So his family was there, we remember. Uh, we also see the Center for Meta-Human Studies uh, get set up uh, on orders from Amanda Waller to study the parasite and killer frost. So, hmm. of course, that means these villains will escape <laughs> and create havoc. So it forces Ronnie to try and summon Firestorm, but as soon as he does, immediate pain reverts back to himself, doesn't work. And uh, Firehawk has to take care of it. And Mikael has more success later when he goes into action against a Firestorm clone created by the Soviets. But then the creature, whose powers are more flame-based, absorbs the Firestorm entity and leaves Ronnie and Mikael defenseless. And then there's some back and forth. But the result is that Firestorm and his clone merge and become the Fire Elemental. And that's going to be the status quo until issue 100, where uh, Firestorm is finally cancelled. It's not clear that the Gene Bomb necessarily led to the fire elemental but it seems like it's connected for something yeah because of the pain and all that means like they needed to transition to something else because the way the dialogue goes it's like give in to the elemental side give in and that's what releases them from pain so uh probably their their matrix is screwed up because of the bomb yeah, that's, I think. Uh, maybe Shag knows and, <laughs> and can tell us. He'll ring in in the comments. Firestorm is substantially changed yeah. by uh, invasion as a result of all this. Um, Manhunter number 10. Mark Shaw gets into the business of high-tech salvage and goes after a crashed mech in the Australian outback. I don't know whose it was because we don't see that kind of technology. No, we didn't see any It was mechs. like an anime mech warrior really? thing. It just looks like a spaceship at first, but then he rises up. There are also bad guys after it. Violence ensues. Of course. Of course. Hey, hey, hey. tech smuggling, that's that's a real thing. And then there's Swamp Thing number 84. While Swampy is traveling through time trying to get back to the present day, Earth, because the Dominators had like, exiled him mm-hmm. off Earth, uh, we get one scene with Abby Cable in the present who gets a visit from Floro, the Floronic Man, uh, where he's looking for the Earth Elemental on behalf of the Justice League. And presumably this occurs during Invasion, Okay. Feels like I, no. I guess we've already seen Guy Gardner try to recruit Swamp Thing, and Swamp yeah. Thing isn't there. So maybe this is they're looking for Swamp Thing to help with the reconstruction of the planet. Maybe just like reverse some environmental damage. It's not clear why Floro shows up and Abby doesn't want to talk to him because she knows him as a villain, not as a new guardian. Yeah, that's or right. she knows him as a new guardian and doesn't <laughs> want to talk to him. See, that would make sense. <laughs> Are you with the new guardians? Yes, I am Floro. Yeah, can you please leave? Yeah, but they mention invasion. I mean, they mention the yeah. aliens have attacked, and it's just like the verb tenses aren't clear as to 
So when is this happening? If we're during, the, the New Guardians are busy. <laughs> They're pretty busy. They're busy failing at protecting <laughs> Russia. Yeah. These are all fallout issues, I guess. Yeah. They're all little winks at invasion. But there is one where let's the story is very invasion-based. Oh, yeah. And that's definitely. Wonder Woman number 27 from Day Into Night by uh, writer George Perez, artists uh, Chris Marinan and Will Bleiberg, letterer Austin Moss. Colorist Carl Gafford, assistant editor Art Young, editor Karen Berger. So uh, this is the issue that we actually read, both yeah. of us read it to cover. Glad to revisit Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I enjoy this uh, new Wonder Woman, this flying boot Wonder Woman. <laughs> you know, she's because uh, she's she's been uh, reintroduced into the DC Comics after, universe, I guess. After the crisis, yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is not your granddad's Wonder Woman. This is a new Although Wonder Woman. Although it may be. How old are we? <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, you know what? Yeah, but it's it's like a newer version, a more warrior. Well, maybe not more well, of a warrior. No, well, yeah, I think she's still a messenger of peace. Yeah, they they, they warrior her up. Yeah, later. Well, let's look at the cover uh, by uh, George Perez. He doesn't do the interiors, but he does do the cover, uh, which looks like uh, Diana and Hippolyta. Hippolyte. Uh, they look on as Steve, Trevor, and Etta Candy dressed up in Greek togs. Uh, look at a statue of what happens to be the adopted Amazon warrior who was his mother. We'll find out. That That's, was confusing in the issue. That was confusing. Because I wasn't following the book at the time. No, I have this big question right on top of my notes. And I was like, <laughs> what is happening? Yeah, I had to do a little bit of research uh, because that wasn't something. Because it also sounded like, Di- because she was, yeah. she's called Diana. It sounded like Wonder Woman was his mother? Like... And then I knew she went back in time at some point, but that's way after number 27. I mean, I didn't get it, but I, I don't have to get it. I kind of understood that it was a different Diana. But so, the, the cover is very Perezzi. It's It's so Perezzi. Details, Everything. layers. It's gorgeous. Clean. You can pull off a, like a quiet cover. Yeah. Because there's <laughs> really. action in this. There's plenty of action in the comic. That's not what he wants to draw. You know, he wants to draw something that's like painterly. Yeah. Almost like he's doing Wonder Woman. So it's like... Classical uh, composition? Yeah, really it is. is. That, yeah. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah, and Hippolyta and Wonder Woman. Yeah, the dark I mean, there's a lot of symmetry. It's, and... Oh, yeah, it's just gorgeous, and it's very Perez. Uh, here's what happens in the issue. Uh, I'm going to skip the Boston subplots, Okay, if you don't mind. Yeah, you don't want to talk about uh, Barry Luckaletti? <laughs> I don't want to talk about Hermes. I don't want to talk about you the Capitalesses. I mean, I mean, unless you have comments about it. I, I don't. These are the only questions I have. I mean, I, what this are is, these things? This is the stuff that's just going on and on yeah. and on. Um, but a rapey kid, just to sum it up, rapey kid gets gets his due. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to grope the lady underneath the bleachers. And she's like, no, nah, let's go into the boys' locker room. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, we're going to go into the boys' locker room. And, and the capitalist and- daughter... Pranks them. Yeah, and they paint them blue. And, you know, it's... So it's, there's stuff like that, and there's Hermes that just, like, refurbishes yeah. their house, which has been destroyed in an attack. But this is all stuff that hasn't anything to do with invasion. Yeah. And it continues, you know, it's like the story. Yeah, it's uh, their story. It's but their supporting characters. It, yeah. it feels like a subplot in this comic book, because the chunk of this comic book has Kunz in it. So uh, here's what happens. Steve Trevor is recovering from his injuries on Temescaira. And while he's there, he visits the shrine of his mother, Diana Trevor, a pilot who came to Paradise Island in the early 20th century and sacrificed her life for the Amazons. Uh, she is, in fact, who Princess Diana was named after. Ooh. So that's the... Because in, in this continuity, Steve Trevor was never Wonder Woman's lover. No, he's, he's, an, old, he's an older man. He's an older so guy, instead, yeah. she's named after his mom, who was... a female pilot, you know, when that wasn't a popular thing. Okay. <laughs> and uh, she's known as a hero, so he's the progeny of one of their adopted heroes. That's why he's the only man that can come to Paradise Island. Meanwhile, subplot stuff, and then also, in California, mercenaries stop an army convoy and steal two high-tech caskets, which they bring to Barbara Minerva, otherwise known as Cheetah. She opens them and releases two Kun warriors captured by Wonder Woman on Fiji on the condition that they help her defeat Wonder Woman, which they also hate. When Diana arrives in California from Paradise Island with Steve Trevor and Etta Candy, the Kuns immediately attack. Diana manages to tie one up with her magic lasso and goes off to help Steve and Etta, who are holding their own against the second, at least until he throws them off a cliff. Wonder Woman saves her two friends, but when she gets back to the ledge, the Kuns 
are gone. <sighs> One of them wrapped up in her lasso. So they're aboard Minerva's helicopter where the lassoed one admits, because he can't tell a lie, that he will kill Barbara and her henchmen as soon as he's free. Uh, but there's only two ways to untie the magic knot anyway. Diana has to do it or the captive must be dead. Guess what happens? Uh, as Wonder Woman flies after the escaping helicopter, the two guns, dead at Cheetah's hands, are thrown out at her with bombs strapped to her, their chests. They explode, sending her crashing to the ground when she wakes up. She realizes she's lost the magic lasso, which explains why she's without it in Justice League Europe number one, which yeah. we previously covered. Uh, so that's the gist of it. But I mean, there's Kund action. Yeah. There's, it's not just about recovery. If it had only been like Steve recovering and you, you know, the, the great healing arts of the Amazons help him survive his wounds from the Durlin, uh, in the previous comic, then I would have just thrown it in with the rest of the. But we have Kund action. I mean, Kund action. They hate Diana. They hate Wonder Woman. They want to take her down. They tried. We have action. I mean, we see Wonder Woman going at super speeds, mm -hmm. punching, you know, a Kun straight in the jaw. Uh, the action is great. And they seem to put elegance and strength all over the... Because, I mean, there's dialogue and there's stuff all over. But she always seems to be as strong, as elegant. And I kind of dig that because it's, it's different from the usual combat styles, you know. Mm. She kind of feels in this thing like she's dancing while... She's being, you know, kick-ass. Interesting. Because yeah. I thought, if, you know, my reaction to the plot at first was, wait, you know, just, how many kuns did she defeat in the, in the previous invasion crossovers? Two kuns, no matter how, um, how arrogant. <laughs> well, There's the not going to be any threat. But then it all turns out that they're supposed to get caught. Yeah. This is all, I mean, this is, Cheetah's plan is very clever, and yeah. Wonder Woman doesn't even know she's in the game. Exactly. So she's doing what she would do, and then they steal the, the lasso from her, this, which is what Cheetah always wanted. Well, this is a, a, a nice Cheetah episode, you know, because we know Cheetah as Cheetah, but the manipulative and planning and conniving Cheetah it's refreshing. I, I guess this is always what she was, this version of Cheetah. I guess uh, the other ones are kind of insane. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, this one has her head. But when you think of her, you think of her as a physical threat. Yeah. Uh, and in this, she... I mean, there's that... I like that bit where the Kuns have been returned to the helicopter, and she's just in... Sh and all you hear is that growling. Yeah. And they don't know what it is. We don't even see her. We don't even no, see Cheetah. like Chita. a shadow yeah. uh, at the end of that bit and the eyes yeah yeah so it's like oh um and she, so because when we first meet her in this she's barbara minerva she's not yeah. she hasn't werewolved uh, in front of them so when so they don't know exactly. they think you know they're gonna as soon as they get what they want they're gonna kill yeah barbara the, the lady with the cane mm -hmm. they're gonna you know the, easily yeah. a woman and a an old man you know uh but no she's she's planned for this she, she's She's manipulating them. She's manipulating Diana. Oh, she's on top of it. And she gets everything she wants. I mean, this very, very well planned to, to get rid of Wonder Woman at every point. Uh, I think she deserves, rightly deserves, to be called Wonder Woman's arch enemy. Yeah. She is the, the Lex Luthor. Oh, yeah. Of the Wonder Woman set. Especially this Cheetah. Because a, a lot of people go, Ares? The God of War? No, I don't think so. I think no. Cheetah is the better match. The well, more interesting match. Yeah. Ares is to Wonder Woman what uh, Zod is to Superman. But Zod is not Superman's greatest foe. Mm -hmm. Right. Luther is. Yeah. Cheetah is the prime Wonder Woman villain. And I'm glad that she's going to be the villain in... Um, in the next movie. Yeah. In the next movie, yeah. Hopefully it'll be... Well, hope, I always say that because I have <laughs> lost faith in everything. But, okay. Hopefully but, it'll be uh, good. Hopefully it'll be good. Hopefully it'll be fun and good and with a great Cheetah and Wonder Woman's already already good and... I just hope Cheetah just lives up to it. And it's going to be, I mean, I, I like, I actually, I love Kristen Wiig. I think she's a great actress. We always see her doing funny stuff because she's an improv lady. She, but she can be very, she's, she's very good. She's a good actress. So I only see good things coming, but you know, it's not the actors that ruin stuff and it's not the directors. <laughs> just hope the suits, hopefully the suits will keep it in their pants and keep <laughs> out of it. Just keep out of it. If you're a suit, 
You should not make movies. Think about other stuff. Think about your car or your house. <laughs> Sign the paychecks and shut the... Just, <laughs> shut just <up. laughs> let the people who know what they're doing do it. So this not only does this issue of Wonder Woman tie into invasion and invasions enemies directly, mm-hmm. immediate fallout from what she did in the invasion, what Steve did in the invasion, uh, but it also has another effect that leads into... One of the spin-offs. So when she shows up at the JLE, she doesn't have the lasso. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so George Perez wanted to, to to wrap things up and say invasion wasn't just something that happened and then we can ignore it. It actually moves things forward into, you know, the coons become the pawns mm-hmm. that lead into the next storyline. Well done, Mr. Well, Perez. Very well done. I enjoyed that very much. So we'll take another break and we'll come back with Letters from the Front. Letters from the Front. In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire and Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, the Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire and Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel team-up. Yes. The brave and the bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain team-up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW team-up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. We have ladders, we have ladders. Yes, letters from the front. Letters from the front. We have no letters. Yes, we do. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> These comments are for episode 37, in mm-hmm. which we discussed the blasters. Oh, the yeah. The much maligned blasters. And uh, the second half of JLI number 24, which was the real start of Justice League Europe. Yeah. Um, and uh, more Kund action. And yeah. The tiny Kunds come back. As bigger coons and uh, get themselves killed. So uh, <laughs> let's go to firewaterpodcast.com where uh, people do leave comments. Chris Franklin, one of our network partners, says, I'm glad you made the Guardians connection obvious because I kept thinking this sounds a lot like Guardians. <laughs> the, you know, it's the pre Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. The blasters. If I see it in a dollar bin, I'll give it another shot, despite the presence of Snapper Car. This honestly sounds like the best use of the character outside of the Our Man series, but I wasn't aware his hands were cut off. Jeez, was that a fan suggestion from young Jeff Johns? Sounds like his style. Uh, JLI number 24, uh, I loved Hawkman going off on the group in this issue. There was a part of me that agreed with him. Although I enjoyed the JLI and its humor, usually the diehard DC fanboy in me was almost as frustrated as Qatar at times. How cool would it have been if he left in a huff, but Shaira refused to go with him and stayed? Do you have a problem with Hawkwoman? I love Hawkwoman. Because you don't like Thanagarians. I don't like Hawkman. You don't like Hawkman, but Hawkwoman. Hawkgirl. Hawkgirl. I I like her. You know what? I kind of liked her. My my love for Hawkgirl came with Justice League uh, cartoon. Yeah, she's great in that. She's great in that. And And she's great. It's it's interesting because... Again, one of my yeah. loves for the Hawks uh, is them in the 60s as a power couple. I love that. I love, like, the sexy space cop couple. Yeah. Love that. But if I can only have one of them, then I want Hawk Girl. Yeah. And for the same reason, I guess, I think the show really showed it. Yeah. That she's an awesome character by herself. I also enjoyed her in, because uh, we mentioned Jeff Johns, his JSA book in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Where Hawkman comes back, but Hawkgirl is there with the new JSA, with the older Jay Garrick and, and, and Alan Scott and everybody. And she's trying to find herself. And Hawkman comes over and, you know, now he's Hawkman and he's found his love again. And she's like, whoa, 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 back up, buddy. I don't know you. But I'm, we're, we're destined we're to be together. And she's like, hey, can you move back? I've had enough of th- enough of this, and and I kind of liked her there. Yeah. They kind of tried to play with that in the Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, because that was a kind of her attitude at first, but I mean, they quickly yeah but, mashed them up. Yeah, and and that's kind of what happened because you mean, you mean they're star-crossed lovers. I mean, you can't 
But, you know, that's what happens also in the comic book. But I, yeah. I kind of like this this hot girl who's trying to be independent, and uh, I prefer her. That's why I liked her in the Justice League cartoon. I mean, she was uh, being all nice to Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah, it's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah, no, a great character. And, uh, again, if you give me a choice, that's the one I'd go with. Me too. I would rather have Hawkgirl in the universe than Hawkman. Oh, I don't yeah. care nearly as much. Or the two of them as a couple. But I, I don't like the two of them as the the way they've, they've been playing it, where Starcrossed and they got to remember one another. Yeah, and yeah. then as soon as they do, one of them dies. Yeah. It's usually the wrong one. Uh, <laughs> it's always the wrong one. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, okay, I know. stop it with that. So, um, what else? Mark Baker Wright says, I hereby decree that the Rosakis sound effect be used at every opportunity. This, that was one of the jokes that we didn't mention. There's like a, one sound effect is Rosakis, who's the DC's <laughs> answer man, who you could find in uh, 70s and 80s comics quite a lot. You know, writer and editor at DC. Uh, David S. Gutierrez says, uh, did I just hear Bass endorse having a Thanagarian on a team? By which you meant hot girl. Yeah. Uh, I love seeing Bass change his ways. Have you? I have not. I love any membership drive issue of JLI, JLA, JL. This one was a particular favorite because very little actually happens. Uh, yet it's so rich in character interaction. Yeah. Correct, sir. Uh, Michael Bailey says, I happened to cross the Blaster special at a drugstore soon after it came out and 12-year-old me loved it. 42-year-old me still loves it. I have never wavered in this. The jokes are funny, and I like the characters. I never had a hate on for a sniper car, uh, so seeing him here was fine by me. I especially like the Hulk joke that I would only truly get years later when I realized who Peter David was. Because uh, Peter David wrote this, but also was writing the Hulk through the 80s. And, okay. yeah, uh, I don't have any brilliant insight into the book. I just like it and hate that it keeps getting ragged on. I'm sorry about that, Michael. <laughs> well, I mean, at least you read it. Yeah, I think I a lot of people rag on it because it's cool to rag on it. Oh, yeah. Well, I wouldn't do And that. they haven't actually read it in, uh, you know, 20 years, 30 years. Yeah. So, um... I don't like to be a hater. I don't like to no, not no. know and hate. Yeah. I like to know and hate. But I don't like to not know and hate. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. If you know and hate, I mean, that's... If you know and hate, I'm, I'm down with that. But if you don't know and hate... If you give something a negative evaluation... Yeah. It's not the same thing as... And if, it, and if it's just hating. something you read on Reddit, just... Oh, fuck off. <laughs> oh, read the damn book. It's 24 pages. <laughs> well, this one was a bit longer. Yeah, yeah. It was a bigger one. But yeah. still, I mean, it's just a comic book. Read it. Paul Hicks says, uh, when it first came out, Blaster's special struck me as way too try-hard, and riffing straight out of Hitchhiker's Guide seemed creatively bankrupt. It was a book that I passed on to someone else at the first opportunity. A few years ago, I came across it in a dollar bin and picked it up thinking it would be worth a revisit and a reevaluation. Nope! I love that the invasion has such a long tail compared to other events and look forward to your last few episodes. As for the next event show, congratulations. Uh, he's talking about, uh, we announced it in the, um, summer sampler. Yeah. We haven't announced it here officially. Yeah, that's right. But we're looking to, uh, move from first strike the invasion podcast to zero hour strikes. <gasps> Five years later. It's so dramatic in the DC universe. Uh, we get to look at one of those continuity-altering events, mm -hmm. so a completely different type than what Invasion was, uh, and uh, should carry us through another uh, 45 months. <laughs> yeah, it'll be nice, and uh, Siskoid will become uh, Nightwing, because it's going to be five years later, mm. and I'm going to be Lagoon Boy. Yeah, or if we actually use the Zero Hours the template, it's going to be Reboot Bass and Reboot Mike. We're just going to be rebooted versions of ourselves. Exactly. Uh, because that's what happens to Legion, the Zero issue versions of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, thanks for the, um, uh, the vote of, con of confidence, Paul. Uh, he also says it wouldn't be his first subject matter pick. Uh, for quality or fun, but it does give you a lot of variety, which is what we're looking for. Yeah. Uh, he would have picked DC 1 million if it was his show, but that's not actually true as his show has picked every DC event. So listen to DC OCD. <laughs> that's what he's talking about there. Uh, Tim Price says, I still have my original copy of Blasters and I can't remember when I last read it, which I can't justify because I'm a big Peter David fan. You guys completely swayed me to give it a reread. And so you reread it. And here he is again. Dang, was it fun. I don't know why I was such a stick in the mud, because the humor was spot on for me. Maybe it was an everything in the kitchen sink situation, breaking the fourth wall and jokes and sci-fi references. Maybe I just expected its tone to be closer to Invasion itself. 
I don't know, younger me was stupid. Of course, there are nits to pick. Invasion killed Felicity, a white fur and maned alien cat girl from the Omega Men. Uh, this book introduces Cheryl Jenkins, a green fur pink maned alien cat girl. She's not really cleaning house there. <laughs> exactly, but we like green alien girls. Yeah, there's that added value. And also, Felicity had the problem of being an Omega Man. Oh. Um, the Omega Man heroically have stolen her ship and left her tied up in it? You. But in fairness, maybe more backstory would explain this better. Not one, but two gags with naked women. Younger me didn't care. I admit it. Now, sheesh. And I really can't see anyone defending the team's name Blasters. The marketing department was asleep that day. But for a long time, Peter David readers, there's Easter eggs of his storytelling. Mosh's mom is reminiscent of uh, Sissy King's mom. That is to say, Arrowette from Young Justice, the comic book. Mm -hmm. Artemis is the, Artemis is is the it, version is, yeah. in the, the cartoon. This crazy ensemble is so similar to Pad's uh, X-Factor run. And plot device, P-L-A-H-T was one of the jokes, uh, he used that exact gag in Captain Marvel 23 and 24 from 2001. He probably thought, no one's going to remember. <laughs> so let's recycle <laughs> yeah, this joke. Yeah, let's do it again. And uh, he says, via Freudian slip, uh, I called Major Force Major Victory at some point, or you did, or one of us did. Yeah. Uh, since uh, Major Victory's team was the Force of July, I thought of the suggestion in the Batman and the Outsiders letter column for a Canadian super team, the Fist of July. So that tickled him to, to have that thought. And now he's mentioned Batman and the Outsiders to me again. What are you doing, people? <laughs> what is this? That's twice now uh, in this show. Ice D says Peter David mentioned in one of his old but I digress columns that he deliberately filled blasters with cliches and groaners because he thought it would be fun. See also his brief run on She-Hulk. We did much the same. Uh, Jack Bond says, yeah, I've been searching for my But I Digress collection until it struck me to look online. And there you can find them. He's left a link, so if that's something oh. you're interested in, there you go. go to uh, firewaterpodcast.com under the notes for the previous show. That column is available. Return of the Blasters, it's called, so you can Google that. Uh, Shag Matthews says, uh, interesting that Bass considered Firestorm a good candidate for the team at this time. I never thought of the blank slate Firestorm as a team player, but perhaps he would have benefited from being on the team. You're the expert, Shag. Uh, and uh, he also says, for the big shocker, Blasters, seriously, you made me rethink my position on Blasters, and you made a little bit of sense? Can't <laughs> believe this happened. That said, I don't know that he went back to read it. Facebook likes and shares uh, from Adam Ackerman, Brian Linton, Chris Dillier, Chris Franklin, Clinton Robinson of Caffeine Comics, David Is Gutierrez, D. Bash, Gene Hendricks, Jeff Owens, Jimmy McGlinchey, Joseph Abanto, Lucas Garrett, Mark Beltron, Max Romero, Max Traver, Mike Zumkowski, Nathan Archer, Nicholas Brom, Rich Matsumoto, Rick Rug, Rob Kelly, Robert Ward, Roger Pree, Brian Daly, Scott Rowland, Shag Matthews of the JLI Podcast, you might have heard of it, Sean Strawbridge, and Zeb Oswald on Google Plus. Uh, thank you, The Hammer Strikes. And on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Abel Pedzilla, Andrew Wall, Anime Freaks, Ange Bat, Boosterific.com, Bully the Little Stuffed Bull, Cash Flag, Chris, Chris Lewis, Coffee and Comics, Comics in the Golden Age, Dave's Comic Heroes Blog, David A's Gutierrez, DCOCD, Darkness to Light, Dylan A. Lange, Earth 2 Chris, Ed Moore, Greg A., Guy Hitu, Hokoff, Jeffrey Brown, Justice's First Dawn, Keith G. Baker, Connell, Cristados, Lamar, The Revenger, Legion Bloggers, Max Romero of His Plastic Man and Now The Dream Factory, Myrna Loy, a fan of the actress, not the actual actress, presumably, uh, Nuno Duarte, Podcast Partners, Professor Frenzy, The Curious Curmudgeon, Reggie Reggie, Rob Kelly, Creative, uh, Robert Lewis, Rolled Spine Podcast, Secret Wars, and Beyond Podcast, who said The Blasters was a fun book. Good enough for me. Straight out of Gallifrey, The Hammer Strikes, Tim Price, uh, Vishnu Ganyan, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Warlock Worlds, Xenozoic, Xenophiles, and Zoom Yukonori. A lot of new names uh, this time around. There's a lot of new names. I'm, wow. Yeah, I'm guessing the right person retweeted it. I guess so. I don't know who <laughs> that right person is, but or thank you very much. the Blasters fans came out of the woodwork. <laughs> We're bringing Blasters back. That's the next WB show. Blasters. Blast off with the blaster. Yeah, it writes itself. It writes itself. It writes itself. We need a comedy like that. Um, you know, something better than, what was it? What was the, the, the sitcom? There's a DC sitcom that didn't last. Oh, uh, uh, Powerless? No. Uh, yeah, I think Powerless? that's it. Powerless? Anyway. Yeah, uh, we're, we're due for a Space Odyssey funny show, and they could tie into Supergirl and uh, just be in space. Blasters. Yeah. Do it. 
Isn't Snapper Carr in Supergirl? No. Yeah, he's uh, is he? He's the editor. He's an editor at the, the newspaper. Damn it. Damn it. He should be. <laughs> then it should be like an Earth Two, uh, different universe. Snapper Carr, different younger yeah. guy out into space. Boom. Uh, I mean. Yeah. Anyway, you can leave a message about this episode if you have thoughts about Wonder Woman or any of the fallout that we talked about mm-hmm. or Young Justice Invasion. Please do at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on the Facebook page or on Twitter. The F- hashtag FWPodcasts with an S. Until next time, uh, well, be safe. The invasion's over, but you know, you're stuck <laughs> yeah. in some rubble somewhere. You never know. We're thinking never of know. you. You might be a meta. Next time on First Strike the Invasion Podcast, the Uncanny X-Men 245? What?